we're going to transition into our sermon time now. And for our message today, the title of today's message is, Don't Be Secure in Sinning. Don't Be Secure in Sinning. Now, the primary location of our, passage, our scripture today is going to ro- rotate about Psalms 51. Psalms 51. Now, we're going to tell you a little bit of the background of that story. If you're trying to find the book of Psalms, the easiest way to find Psalms, for those of you who are using your, uh, your Bible, is to go like this, and you put your thumb in about the middle, and when you open it up to the center, you're probably going to be pretty close. And if you miss and end up Isaiah, just keep trying. Eventually, you end up in a Psalms or Proverbs somewhere in there. It's about the middle of the Bible. And uh, that's the hint that I used to use when I was a young uh, learning. But uh, if that doesn't work, but uh, you'll find it. Psalms 51 is where we're going to spend our time in our scripture. But let me tell you a story. And if, for those of you in the congregation, it'll be up on the screen eventually um, when we get to the story part of Psalm 51. Now, let's talk about the backstory. What happened before Psalm 51? Because if you have found Psalm 51, it says, and it talks about Nathan, and it talks about Bathsheba. So if you were in, interested in looking at the story, I'm going to summarize what you might find in 2 Samuel 11. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to summarize for you. But in, in that passage of Scripture you'll find that David is the king of Israel. And so David is the king of Israel, and it's the time when they're supposed to go out to battle. It's the time when the kings go out to battle, and they're battling against other other people. But David stayed home, and he sends Joab as his commander-in-chief of the army. He's the commander of the army. He sends him out to take, take care of things. And so while they're out there, David gets up in the night, I believe it was, but he's out, and he's walking on his roof. He's up on his roof of his house. And and King David, he looks out, and when he looks out, he notices someone's out on their porch bathing. Now, I don't know what bathing meant at that point in time, but he sees her, and her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Now, if you've not heard this story before, and you're like, what was the name of the lady that David saw from his porch out there bathing on her porch? Well, bath, bathing, Bathsheba. So Bathsheba's out there bathing. Well, the king looks out there, and she looks beautiful to behold, the Bible says. And so he sees her out there on the porch, and so he, says, he, he inquires about her, and he finds out that she is the wife of someone. She's the wife of Uriah. So now he knows that she's married. So what does David do? What should David do? Not what he's about to do. What David do, does is he sends out messengers and they take her. But then she goes, she goes in to him. And they know each other biblically. You know what I'm saying. They know each other biblically. So after he does the inquirer, and, 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 and then it, the Bible says that she came to him. So he goes and take her, then she came to him. So I don't know to what degree this was mutual, but it seems to be somewhat mutual. But basically, they know each other biblically. So Bathsheba goes back to her house. Now, where is her husband? Her husband's off with Joab. Her husband Uriah is out with Joab, Joab the commander, and they're out 
They're deployed. They're in the army. They're deployed. They're in a battle kind of situation. And so Bathsheba and David kind of have this one-night stand. And so lo and behold, what do you think happens? She's pregnant. She's pregnant. And so she sends word to David that she's with child. I changed the phrasing because when I was young, I wasn't allowed to say the word pregnant. So just to make my mother happy, I'll say she was with child. And when she was with child now, David knows that he's got a situation. So what does he do? He sends to Joab and says, hey, Joab, send me Uriah. So Uriah comes back and David visits with him. And David says, so how's things going out there? And they talk. And so then Uriah leaves, and I believe it says that, that David sent a, a fruit, no, he didn't send a fruit basket, but he sent some food along. But Uriah did not go back to his household. And because you know what the plan was, is David wanted Uriah to come back and then go spend time with his wife so that Uriah might know his wife, and then they would think that the baby belonged to Uriah and not the adulterer. David. But Uriah didn't go back to his household. And why not? He tells David, well, I can't go. My, my fellow soldiers are out there in battle and in tents and all those kinds of things. So Uriah was fairly noble about it. So what does David do? He's like, oh, great. So then he brings Uriah back in and gets Uriah drunk and thinks, surely this would get him to go sleep with his wife. And it didn't work. It didn't work, so now David's in a pickle. So David's got to figure this out. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? So he sends a note to Joab, and the note that he sends to Joab, the king of his army, is, hey, this Uriah guy, I want you to put him out in a dangerous part of the battle, and when it really gets going, I want you to pull back. Pull back. So he's out there basically left alone so that he gets killed. An accident of war. But basically, David is giving orders for Uriah to be killed. Well, the orders follow through, and the report comes back, and David's upset, but Joab has sent word that, oh, by the way, your servant Uriah is dead. So the mission was accomplished. By the way, how did David send the message to Joab to have Uriah killed? He put it in a letter, and who carried the letter? Uriah did. David gave the letter to Uriah to take it back to Joab, and in the letter it pronounced that basically David wanted Uriah to be killed. Pretty sinister stuff. Pretty sinister stuff that's going on. Now, so David, then what does David do? David, after her official mourning is over, and she's going through that time, he brings in Bathsheba and marries her and probably the time is a, enough uh, proximity I don't know that they had uh, OBGYNs then that would time the timing of when things happened that they could claim that it was Bathsheba and David's child which it was but people would think that it was legitimate people would think that it was legitimate but the problem with it was God was not happy. God 
was not happy. So God sends in Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet has to tell a story to get David to even understand that he's done sin. And so he goes and he tells him a story about a, a guy that had a lot of sheep. And the guy had a lot of sheep. And then there was this other guy that just had one ewe lamb that he loved. And it seems that some sojourner, some traveler comes along and the guy with a lot of sheep didn't want to kill any of his sheep. So he goes and takes the, the sheep from the guy with just the one. And that story upset David because David was a former soldier. Not a soldier, a shepherd. Former shepherd. He was a soldier at one point too, but he's a former shepherd and he loved sheep. And he was upset. He was angered. And Nathan says to David, you are the man. You are the one doing the sinning. But David was so deep in his adultery. He didn't just see the woman and turn away. He saw the woman, lusted after her, inquired about her, found out she was married, kept going on the sin, and then tried to cover it up with lies, got a man drunk to try to get him to sleep with him, and then ordered the man killed to cover it up, and then married after that to continue it. He was so deep in the sin that he couldn't see it. And so Nathan had to wake him up. Because we don't know how David might have responded because he'd been killing people to cover up his sin. But finally, David, in being confronted, he comes to his senses and understands in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned. And so David is broken. And so this is now, as we come to Psalm 51. You will notice when we read here in Psalm 51, there'll be words in there that you've sung in songs. You've sang them in worship songs. You've heard them before. And so I want you to listen to them. Now let's turn in your Bible to Psalm 51. And we begin. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So see now this linkage to our story. David cries out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. The bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. 
Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not de delight in birth offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure. Design, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then you shall offer bulls on your altar. And you can read, as you read through there, you see, see him crying out for the Lord to take care of his sins. And as though during this prayer, you can sense he becomes, it seems, to, re, uh, to feel the release of confessed sin. He had sinned. He had sinned. See, he is worried. And what is he worried about? He remembers. In verse 11, we found the, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He remembers Saul, his predecessor. See, Saul was not, he was not in the lineage of Saul. He was not a descendant of Saul. But Saul had been picked. They wanted a king, and Saul had been picked. And we'll find in Scripture that God regretted, it says, that he, that he had made Saul king. The problem was Saul, was Saul turned. Might apply the term backslid, but Saul turned. He went to a witch, which they were forbidden to do. Saul's spirit turned hard. David remembers. David's crying out, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation. I want the joy back. I want the re uh, relationship back. Sin had caused a problem. Sin had caused a break. An issue in, in the relationship. Verse 10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He says, I need a clean heart. I need renewed in fellowship with you. He recognized the sin. He recognized these issues. He recognized that it caused a rift in the relationship. And he knew that he needed to do something about it. Don't be secure in your sinning. Don't think that your sinning doesn't have an effect on your relationship with God. That you can just keep doing it. It's not okay. It's not okay. Sin separates. But does all sin? Is it just some sins? Certain sins? John Wesley used the phrase, sin properly so called 
And when we think about that term, sin properly so-called, we think to, be, to James, I believe in, in chapter 2, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know what's right and wrong, if you know what God's telling you, you shouldn't do, that's sin properly so-called. But do all sins separate? Some would say that we sin in word, thought, or deed every day. I hope not. Now, they might have a different definition of sin, but that's not in a line with James 2, but is it okay just to keep on sinning all the time? Is it just covered by the blood of Jesus regardless of what we do? From what I read, it's not okay. There's a call, as Jesus would preach, that we need to repent and follow the Father. And repentance means to turn about. But some, when you listen to the preachers, and maybe you listen to some on TV, there's no repentance. It's just that you go through a ceremony and declare yourself saved. But we read here in Psalm 51, didn't we read... For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would get it, give it. Verse 16, for you did not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. It's not the motions of religions, it's not the activities, it's not the ceremony when you go take the Eucharist. It's not a ceremony when you're baptized underwater. He desires a broken and a contrite heart. These who God you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then you shall offer bowls on your altar. When our heart's right with God, then he accepts the sacrifice. When our heart's right with God, those activities, those sacraments, those symbolisms mean something. Not unto salvation. We have to have our hearts in the right place. You can't go in and, and, and sin all week long and then go through some ceremony And have some person tell you to go pray a certain prayer, do so many Hail Marys, and then it'll be okay. But neither can we go and claim that continued sinning is okay. It caused a rift in the relationship. It causes a challenge. Some would say, well, this is Old Testament. Remember, what was the Bible to the New Testament church? It was the Old Testament. And we know that God doesn't change, so does God now like sin? I don't think so. So, but if 
those that would go along the line, and, and maybe you've heard about people that say, we sin in word, thought, or deed every day, so it's okay, the blood of Jesus covers that. But then you might talk about the concept, and so you're fine. I'm just giving you the caution, don't be secure in your sinning. Because there's some point they might say that if you continue in deep sin, whatever those deep sins are, then it's as though you were never saved in the first place. Is there a special list to know which sins those are? Because some sins seem to be okay and you're covered because you sin in word, thought, or deed every day. But there's some point that if you do these kinds of things, that maybe it's like you weren't saved in the first place. Is there a special list to determine which ones those are? I would say the special list is to them that knoweth to do good and that doeth not to them, it is sin. That's sin. If you know you're not supposed to do it, then stop doing it. You can't go out and, and sleep with a prostitute and think that you're going to be okay. There's some that have said things like that. Don't be secure in your sinning. God does not like sin. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't to cover up all the sins. He died so that we can have a change in our heart. Not only can we have forgiveness of sins, but he can come in and rule our hearts and create in us a clean heart if we surrender to him. First, we have to have forgiveness of our sins. We have to repent and stop going towards sin. We can't go in and say, hey, I'm saved. I went to the altar. I'm saved. <coughs> and then turn around and expect to continue to do all the things that we've always done. Because I sin all the time anyhow, but it's covered. But at what point is it not covered? Sin causes a rift. It needs covered by the blood of Jesus, a broken and contrite heart sold out to God. We can't just keep sinning and think that it's okay. It's not like when Jesus died on the cross that the nature of sin changed so that some sins are now okay. We don't get put in a special category that sin is okay because we've declared salvation. The Israelites were God's people, but they paid for their sin. David here is concerned. He's concerned. He knows that the ritual is not going to do it. He needs something deeper. We're not just to continue in sin. We turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to read to you verses 1 through 18. Verses 1 through 18 in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some would say we're in this disposition of grace. Disposition of grace. It's grace. God's grace. God's grace. God's grace is extended to us. But not for us to just continue sinning. His grace is extended to us in provenient grace. And he makes a way of salvation. 
But shall we say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How, say, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we have buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We should no longer need to continue sinning. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't keep on sinning. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive with the dead, from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that through, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. If you must continue in your sin, you are a slave to sin. You're not under righteousness. Do not be secure in continuing to sin. Don't have a sinning doctrine that all the sin is okay because Jesus loves us and died on the cross, so it's all covered up. And because it's all covered up, it's imputed righteousness on us that I've got it because the blood of Jesus kind of created me a clean heart, O oh God. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want it to just be covered up. I want God to take care of the root of sin so that I don't have to continue sinning. It should change our behavior. Can I backslide? Yes, I can. If I'm not following God, just like Saul did. I have to have a relationship with with God. An active relationship with God. Not some stamp that I put back and then I just keep on sinning because then I become a slave to sin. And if they say they were never saved in the first place because they've continued in sin, then what about those that have continued in these other sins? Which sins are okay to continue in and be okay for eternity? None. 
As we understand the definition is, to him that knoweth the good, and doeth to not it is, to him it is sin. That's why we talk about the age of accountability. A child is innocent. They don't know any better when it comes to the things of God. But they come to a point when they become accountable. And even though we go to God and pray and ask forgiveness of our sins, if there is no repentance, it says to repent. We need to repent and change, which means to turn from going away from God to God and become slaves of righteousness. It's not slaves to sin. We don't need to continue in the sinning because we will have people. And what they will do is they'll look back to that and we basically have told them that it's okay. You're secure. You're eternally secure to continue to sin. There doesn't need to be a change. Don't be secure in your sinning. Follow God. Don't be like David who got so caught up in what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. He felt the conviction of it. He knew something needed to be different. Like in Romans, he talked about they were they knew in their heart. They knew it in their heart. They were obedient to it. That they were to do and not to do. Because at that time they wanted them to follow the letter of the law. And they're like, God, uh, Jesus took care of that. We don't need that ceremonial law for forgiveness of sins. But we have the blood of Jesus. But still, we're not to continue in sin. So help us to be true to God. Take the chastening of the Lord as we grow in Christ and become more and mature. At some point, he might ask us for all of our lives. But he trains us. Just like you train a child, a two-year-old's not going to necessarily understand some of the rights and wrongs of boys and girls. But when they get older, you teach them about those things. And so as young Christians... You may not be held responsible for some of the things that some of us that have been a Christian a while are accountable for. And the Lord will say, ah, uh-uh, you're not supposed to do that. You need to start watching your language. And he'll help you with that. Ah, uh-uh, you're not supposed to, just different things as you grow and mature. God will work on you. You have to take that chastening and that correction. And he matures you as he calls things out. But when he calls things out, you don't just keep doing them now that you know that you shouldn't. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow closer to God. Don't run the edge trying to see how much you can get away with. Run close to God and see how much of him you can take on. May the Lord help us. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you would help us as we hear things around churches and we hear things that maybe we heard when we grew up and it can cause confusion. And there are are words that are difficult to understand and different doctrinal beliefs that can be confusing. Father, even some that would say, uh, spout some of those doctrinal beliefs, they're on fire for you and following you, and they may not live on the edge, but there's others that do. 
And Father, may we not live on the edge, doing whatever we want and saying, it's okay, I can do that stuff because I've got the blood of Jesus applied. No, it's not okay. Help us not to be secure in our sinning or in a life of sin. Help us to be true to your word. And help those, dear Lord, that are endeavoring to walk life, to walk stronger in you, to be reassured in Scripture. If they're wondering which sin is okay and which sin is not, and I'm confused about sin, may they have a clear understanding of the definition. And may that give them security versus the insecurity that comes with which sin is the one that might mean that I wasn't saved in the first place? And how do I know which one it is? Because they say some is okay and some's not. May they be unconfused. May the scripture come clear and they may have security in knowing that they know what God wants them to do and knowing that if they're doing what God wants them to do, that is eternal security. Being in the center of God's will. Help us, Lord, take on your scripture if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness Lord bless us we pray in Jesus name Amen the congregation would keep their heads